This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as the woman who wishes she could code like a girl, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Reshma Sajani, the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code, a nonprofit that's working to close the gender gap in technology. It offers after-school programs, summer classes, a series of books, and more. Reshma, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you for having me, Kara. So, uh, we've talked before. We've talked quite a bit before on lots of stuff. And the reason we're starting to talk is under some controversy there was a 60 minutes. Mm. Explain what how you got here, essentially, because <laughs> we, we've talked many times before, yeah, uh, so, along with all the other groups that are doing coding and things yeah. like that. So 60 Minutes had done a story about girls in coding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had actually spoken to, I had actually spoken to Leslie Slaw years Slaw. ago mm-hmm. about doing an episode on this because she had actually done this incredible episode about girls in science. And, you know, we had talked, yeah. talked, talked. You know, we had gotten an email from a producer finally being like, we're doing a story. And yeah. we're like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Turns out we ended up getting cut out of the story. And actually yeah. all of the women who are doing work in this got cut out. Yeah. Um, and the story was done on Code.org, an organization whose mission is not to close the gender gap in mm-hmm. computer science, but whose mission is to teach all kids to code. All kids, right. And what was problematic was about also the the kind of the episode was really that this is not a pipeline problem, mm-hmm. right? That there are women who are going into this. Right. Uh, we're just not starting young right. enough. So 60 Minutes really got it wrong. I think I, I watched it and I was like, yeah. that's not quite Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah but, this happens with TV, <laughs> you know, in case you're interested. Well, I also think it's yeah. what happens when you don't talk to the people who kind of are living and breathing this work because mm-hmm. it's more complicated than that. It's more mm-hmm. complex than that. And right. it felt like a little bit of an infomercial for both Code.org and Microsoft and then Mm-hmm. Weeks later, you have women who are walking out of Microsoft because of allegations of sexual harassment. So right. we know that it's much right. more complicated than simply, let's get more girls to code. Right, right. So let's talk about that because I think I don't want to hear intra-coding fights. You know right. what I mean? I get it. I, yeah. I think this stuff with some of the work code out has been great. There's all kinds of groups. Black yep. code, and each of them has their own role to play. Correct. It's part of an overall role. Um, and it has been helpful of raising the idea. All of you have been helpful of raising the concept of it. So you all sort of came into being. And again, you all hit it from different spots. Explain what your group does. Yeah. I mean, Girls Who Code is, our mission is to close the gender gap in computer science through technology jobs. Mm -hmm. So getting more girls to declare CS as a major and go into the field. We've taught over 185,000 girls to code. We have 6,000 clubs across the country in all 50 states. We're expanding internationally. So, you know, we're one of the largest organizations in this space. And our mission is to, you know, we run these free summer immersion programs inside technology companies, Mm -hmm. which help us then 
hopefully change the culture of those technology companies. And we make sure that every girl, that half the girls that go through our program are under the poverty line and half of them are, are black and Latina. And it's working. Mm-hmm. So our black and Latina students are majoring in computer science at a rate of 16 times the Afro- national average. We have 30,000 new bar, computer is, science be graduates. Clear, I want to be clear with people. It's a low bar. Which is a low bar. Yeah. But we have 30,000 new computer science graduates mm-hmm. uh, that are girls who code alumni on college campuses right now. And so we believe at our growth, at the rate that we are growing, mm-hmm. we can close a gender gap in technology jobs by 2027. 2027. The idea of mission. getting them. And there's lots of different, there's Black Girls Code. There's Amazing all kinds organizations. of organizations. Talk about the Code 2040. Talk about the explosion of these, of the idea that Code, because I want to, it was, I had an interesting talk yesterday with Steve Case and Mark Cuban about jobs and where they're going, and they were talking about AI replacing coding, of yeah. course. Well, I want to get to that later, but uh, but talk about why there was this explosion in all these groups, from yours to Code.org to Code 2040 to Black Girls Code, all Yeah, these. and I, th- I think a lot of us started similarly around the same time. I think we saw that... Um, we were living at a time where women were the majority in college, right? Mm-hmm. 45% of America's breadwinners. Mm-hmm. And there were all these jobs in technology that paid really well, right? right. $120,000. And, and lacking in people. And lacking in people. And in particular, lacking in women and people of color. Mm-hmm. And then in 2012, when you looked at the landscape and you looked at whether there were interventions, there just really weren't. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us experimented at different you know, at different points in the pipeline through different interventions. And but none of us, about what, inter- what I mean what is like for Black Girls Code, they start very young mm-hmm. uh, and they do incredible work in actually kind of uh, organizing and shaping parents and community organizers mm-hmm. and activists. We intervene inside technology companies and embed these classrooms in technologies and we run after school programs. Code 2040 is doing incredible work, you know, a little bit upwards in the pipeline and really reaching out to minority uh, uh, minority engineers that are already in technology and helping mm-hmm. support them, and again helping shape cultures. You know, NC Wit has done incredible work, right? In their Aspirations Award, you know, the Grace Hopper Conference. So there's all these amazing women mm-hmm. and people of color that are trying to basically get at the problem in different places mm-hmm. and in different points of the pipeline because we know it's leaky all throughout. Mm-hmm. And so you all started this in 2012. 2012. All, a lot of them all came on mm-hmm. at once. Was the idea that here and, and the Obama administration got behind it. This yep. was a very pushed very hard. And the concept was that it, first it wasn't diverse enough, and secondly there weren't enough coders. But yep. all all in general, and then in general, which other groups did, which like Code.org, which was that there weren't enough coders. Period, and that they didn't teach STEM in lots of schools. Yep. Where do you think it is now in that idea, in that in the concept? Where do you, where, how do you assess it after that amount of time with all these various efforts to try to get people coding more? Yeah, so and I'll, different I'll, people. Coding I'll speak more. from our work, right? right? So, what we have learned that access is not enough, mm-hmm. right? And this is maybe my one contention with mm-hmm. Code.org. It's not enough just to have a coding program in a school mm-hmm. because when you do, you'll still find that eighty percent are girls and twenty percent are boys. Mm-hmm. That we need to expose girls to role models. So. Mm-hmm. We've been launching these kind of women in tech pilots where Mm -hmm. we embed stories about Ada Lovelace, Mm -hmm. the ENIAC women, Grace Hopper. So, you know, you can't be what you cannot see, Mm -hmm. right? And and it's also the way you teach coding needs to be attractive to girls, and we need to really understand why they're dropping out. And the the third part of that is, like, what isn't measured isn't managed. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes, CS for All initiatives, they actually don't look and analyze what's the percentage of people of color? What's the percentage of women? Like, how are we tracking? We just 
announced the first ever access bill with uh, in in Washington State mm-hmm. to mandate that every single school and every single district has to actually tell you how many women, how many people of color, so mm-hmm. that we can track how the progress that we are making, or quite frankly, not making. Right, right. The other, so yeah. talk about that progress, because in, in lots of, I had one of some research done by some people who work for me, but things have gone up since you all launched, is that people of color, women, and have increased in numbers in terms of getting them there. And it's through, I would assume, the, the work of all the groups. Yeah. All, all the groups Absolutely. and focused on it. Um, so there are increases among students, correct? There are yeah. increases among girls, among African-American girls especially. Um, and some others. How staying is this? How important I mean, is this? When you're cre- saying access isn't enough, meaning people have gotten to the courses— what next? Well, NCWIT did a great post about this. Uh, yes, there's more in raw numbers. There's more rates of women and people of color, but there's a lot more rates of men, too. Right. So the percentage of numbers of men are actually increasing. And that's what I'm saying. There's gotten a lot more people enough. interested yeah, in Yeah, so it, right. like— some of these initiatives do a great job of, you know, when you see Mark Zuckerberg doing a video inspiring you to code, who does that appeal to? Right. And so when you're watching these movements unfold, a lot more men are like, great, I want to be a coder. And oftentimes those of us that are focused on women, people of color, get the least amount of resources, the least amount of attention, the least amount of platforms, Mm -hmm. i.e. 60 Minutes, Mm -hmm. to talk about our work. And so it's not reaching the demographics that we know is possible. The other thing, Kara, that I'm really focused on Mm -hmm. now, because now we've taught a lot of girls. Mm -hmm. And I get really frustrated when people say, well, it's a pipeline problem. Mm -hmm. I can't find them. It's simply not true. And we're going to be releasing data on this. But year after year after year, I get emails from my students saying, I applied to Google, I applied to Microsoft, I applied to Facebook, I'm a 4.0 MIT student, Berkeley, Stanford, you name it, mm-hmm. can't get my foot through the door. And so what's happening now is that, and I've started forming a list, and many of us are seeing the same thing, is that you still have all white male panels. You still have serious bouts of uh, sexual harassment and discrimination happening in these companies. You still have a culture, Mm -hmm. right, that is not welcoming to women and people of color. So even if we teach them, Mm -hmm. if we are not simultaneously changing that culture, not only are they not going to hire them, but women are not going to stay. So why wouldn't, given the the lack of people for the jobs that are available, why do they not do that? What is in their way? Well, you had a great interview with Frida Kapoor about, about this, <laughs> that was right? It was like that. Yeah. excellent, right? Yeah. Um, and I think she she raised a lot of these issues. It's Most of these cultures have been created with kind of all white and Asian men. Mm-hmm. And we have to ask ourselves, like, can these big technology companies actually change and welcome women? We're talking about power. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't give up power easily. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem with the tech industry is it sees itself as this very kind of libertarian meritocracy, like mm-hmm. not us. Right. And you almost have to actually present. You know, I call it a meritocracy. <laughs> right. That's my line. Right. It's one of my lines. I have a lot of lines. <laughs> you have to kind of present the data and mm-hmm. say, well, if it's a pipeline problem, how many women applied last year? Mm-hmm. Let, let's look at that data before you right. tell me that you can't actually hire them. Mm-hmm. No one offers that. Right. That they, that who's going to work here? Right. To me, what's really interesting, again, I when I did this interview, which was, was I was like, ironic, two white guys telling me about diversity, but actually they were quite, because they, they've been investing across the country. Mm. And one of the most interesting parts that, that I think Steve Case pointed out was that the original internet was dispersed. This is just geographic discrimination. Like, because I, I think... 80% of all venture capital goes to three states, 50% goes to California, 
60% of that goes just to Northern California, and most of it goes to white guys. It's really interesting. He was just like saying, here's what had happened. So the original internet was widely dispersed. IBM was here, somewhere in Boston, somewhere in Kentucky, somewhere. They were all over the place. And then when it became about software, it all moved right to Silicon Valley and largely white, largely male, largely the same people who've gathered there in in, group, in large groups, right. essentially. And what he said is both he and Cuban have been investing all over the country. And you get a much more diverse group of people there because it, they're not all concentrated. You also get uh, more diversity of entrepreneurs and you right. can identify them. And also you get more expertise people like ag tech people in agriculture areas or health tech, which is dispersed all over the country, essentially. So it was a really interesting thing. And he said he thought that it would become, some, most of their investments, actually, I was looking at them, were more diverse. They were right. significantly more diverse because it wasn't this concentration problem. Talk a little bit about that. And I think they're 100% right. It's like, and they were saying the opportunities are elsewhere and not in, I think Mark was saying Silicon Valley is finished. Yeah. Like, essentially, which was kind of interesting. And he did not start his company in Silicon Valley. Right. So, I mean, some of them used to Neither have, of them did, actually. Right. Some of those VC companies used to have rules that they wouldn't invest unless you were located, like, a, you know, yeah. 50 miles from where yeah. they were. So, right. and I think the Valley is a bubble. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of them don't actually leave, and it's a very undiverse bubble. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of more, I'm seeing a lot more women and people of color saying, you know what, like these cultures are not going to change. I'm going to leave and go start my own company. And Mm -hmm. we have to ask, I have to ask myself as a CEO of Girls Who Code, like, should I keep encouraging my students to actually go into these companies when they're simply going to spit them back out? And so we have to kind of, I think, really encourage a culture of entrepreneurship and find those businesses. You know, my husband and I, you know, as a family do these kind of side investments in Mm -hmm. women and people of color. Mm -hmm. We see tremendous people. That's what they were saying. And I think everyone should do that. Right. And there are a lot of people with a lot of incredible ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, a lot of these folks that really just have a very siloed vision of who deserves, who's worthy Mm -hmm. of their ideas being funded are simply going to miss out on the innovation of the future. Meaning that they're not going to have the investments there. Correct. Because it is a question of capital and how it's deployed. Correct. Um, I, I didn't realize this, but Mark has given Arlen Hamilton a million dollars. Like, it was fa- I didn't know that. I had yeah. to know that, which was it, she had had trouble yeah. raising money because lots of reasons. But, she, you know, he's trying. To, he's like, I'm trying to train her and help her and figure it out. And it was really because he'd read about it. Yeah. He thought it was interesting. So given that, do we need to encourage people to code more? Do you think you guys have all got the message through, or is that just an ongoing? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to still—I care about equity, mm-hmm. and I still think that there are so many parts of the country—and this is kind of, I think, a lot of why Trump got elected, mm-hmm. right, where people feel like their kids are not going to have the same opportunity that they have, mm-hmm. and their jobs are being automated, right? They're being mm-hmm. families broken by the opioid crisis. To me, those are the places where we need to be. Right? right, we need to be in places where kids don't have a lot of opportunity. The other place that I'm really focused on is, you know, my new book, Brave Not Perfect. Mm-hmm. I still think, as women, we hold ourselves back because we've been raised to be perfectionists. Mm-hmm. You know, Clive Thompson had done this great story about why you saw this precipitous decline of women in technology in computer science classrooms from the '80s on down. And what had happened in the '80s was the personal computer came out, mm-hmm. and so a lot of women were walking into these classrooms where all these men had these had tinkered with these computers mm-hmm. and. They thought that suddenly they were smarter than them. It wasn't about their ability, but their perceived ability. Right. We often, as women, right, count ourselves out. Okay, we're going to talk about that book when we get back. We're here with Reshma Sajani. She's the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. We're going to take a quick break now, and we'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. We're here with Reshma Sajani, the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code, which is an organization that helps uh, high school girls. Third to third, middle grade on up. On yeah. up to code and move into move into this in college and things like that. The idea is you guys are providing the pipeline, this beginning part, right? Yeah. This the, the part where yep. people go in. And then the difficulty you're now seeing is you can train all you want or get try to get as many people and there's lots of efforts going ongoing by lots of different groups to do this and especially over the last couple of years but it doesn't matter because it comes up against the hard wall of the companies themselves absolutely I think it even starts before that because I think the programs too the colleges yes is there is there what has to happen in colleges I mean we have been work we've started three we're about to launch 300 college loops on college campuses because okay. we have critical mass so I right. think two things are happening there right. one you have these cultures that are very male dominated that quite frankly, make women feel like they don't belong. Right. And, so, and other people, not just women, yeah, but women like people certain men, certain correct. people of color, stuff like that. Correct. And, like if you are not the norm. Right. And I think secondly, sometimes when you are not the, you know, part of the majority, you you underestimate your ability. Mm-hmm. And so you feel like other people are actually more prepared, smarter than you are. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm on, you know, a mission to kind of break perfectionism and also create community amongst mm-hmm. women and people of color. So we've launched these Girls Who Code loops and they've been tremendous. Mm-hmm. So and what does a loop do? A loop is basically a group of Girls Who Code alumni and other women in computer science where they can sit and ask questions and fail together and say, oh, you just went to Twitter to interview? What questions did they ask you? Mm-hmm. Oh, you just took this CS class? I heard it's a weed out class, what should I be thinking about? Oftentimes, we don't share knowledge and information with each other because we don't want to feel like we're dumb. Right. And so it's also, and the third part of that is really starting to change cultures in computer science departments, which Mm -hmm. I think is really incredible. I met a parent yesterday whose daughter majored in computer science at Harvard, and last year they switched from like doing in-person classes to online classes, and her daughter dropped out. Because she didn't have that sense of community. Mm-hmm. I want Harvard to measure what was the impact on that decision on women and people of color and underserved Meaning minorities. Meaning she liked being in the... Yeah, a place where she can ask questions. And it wasn't enough for her to just kind of be staring at a screen just asking questions. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, that's really important to like keep our eye on administrations, on colleges, and see what are they doing to make sure that mm-hmm. this diversity, quite frankly, happens. Rochester Institute of Technology is doing incredible work right, on closing the gender gap in tech. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why they've been so successful is they've started these men who support women in computing clubs. It's the ambassador thing. Right. There's men inside clubs. So they're the ones who stand up against microaggressions. They're the ones who, you know, share internship advice. They're the ones who speak up when there's a sexist comment made. They're exercising bravery and using their power and their voice as a man Mm -hmm. to help change things. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and I think that's critical. So once you get past the college point, it's the job. It's the job yeah. market. And obviously, right now, a lot of the jobs are in the big companies. Yeah. More than the startups. And women don't do startups as quickly as men do at all by massive numbers, actually, which is interesting. Talk a little bit about that, that shift. when One, when you go into a big company and the idea to start a startup or to do that right out of the gate? Well, I think for a lot of women, it's that stability, right? It's that name brand. It's like, you know, you want to go to a Facebook or a Microsoft or a Google. <laughs> and I think the the problem I think that we're seeing is that these cultures are slow to change. I would have expected the diversity numbers to look— They aren't. They don't change. They're not changing right. at all. And maybe I was a little naive when I started Girls Who Code, but I'm like, oh, these companies are created oftentimes by men that were raised by progressive women, mm -hmm. right, that probably are self-described yep. feminists, you know, in a, in a moment in time where we have a lot more knowledge about why diversity is important. Mm -hmm. And a nerd is a nerd. Right. All nerds welcome. And that isn't what we are seeing happen with companies. And I think we're falling back on two excuses. One, the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And there's just not enough of them. I can't find them. And two, this idea of, like, they're not qualified. Right. And yeah. I think both of those are false. And we have to really, really hold their feet to the fire to say, hey, like, if you think that this is happening, prove it. Because then nothing will change if we so don't. So talk about the qualification thing, because that's something you hear a lot. That it's They do it a lot. What, what, I, what infuriates me is when it's on boards, when there's plenty of people for boards. There's plenty in that area. I'm like, there's plenty of qualified women. I could think of 20, 60, 30, right. you know, 100. But but in working, that is one of the arguments is that they. How do you change that? I mean, various people have talked about. You know, there's obviously testing that people do. There's all kinds of things. But a lot of it does still come down to this idea of culture fit. Yeah. And things like that. Now, other people are saying AI will solve that because we will be able to, like, sort people via AI. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, one, I think there's a lot of elitism in terms of where we recruit from. Mm -hmm. And what I have found, especially after the student loan crisis, is that I have a lot of students who got into MIT or Stanford, but they're going to CUNY or Hunter because they can't afford it. Yeah. And so we really have to change where we're where we're looking for talent. Right. Because I think we'll find a lot of women and people of color, underserved minorities in places that we're not looking at, mm -hmm. one. You know, I think second, it does matter when you have all male white panels that mm -hmm. are interviewing, who mm -hmm. are making the decision of who's qualified right. and who's not qualified yeah. because they're looking for all people Stanford's who are just like AI them. Panel. Did you see that? Yeah, I didn't I didn't get a chance to fully. Stan oh, it was all, <laughs> I was sort of like, whoa, not even one? You could not drag one woman in? Wow. That was because they're not looking for them, Right. right? I mean, the other thing is, is that I wish that computer science departments and technology companies would think about talent the way colleges think about football teams. Mm -hmm. They go out and find them. Mm -hmm. They have recruiters that are out there looking for them. Trust me, like if Google really wanted to get to parity in the next five years, they could figure that out. Right. But that would mean that they would have to actively get up go out in the country, you in know, the Reshma, world, it's hard. and find them. I know. <laughs> it's always hard when it's something that's not hard. But here's the thing. I think millennials care about this. Mm -hmm. And I think that Google and Microsoft have a potential of becoming like Goldman Sachs, mm -hmm. where a lot of people just don't want to work there because they want to be affiliated with that brand. Mm -hmm. And like, like I was, I, you know, I was surprised when I read that Google had filed something with the National Labor Relations Board to say that people can't organize on their emails. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the kind of thing that like millennials are like, what? Right. And so they got a shift because mm -hmm. they're going to have a huge problem finding talent. Among different people. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what do you advise then? So then there's that, going to the big companies, which which are stubbornly continue to have the same diversity numbers. What what else could they do? What could they actually do? Not that you should be tell them exactly what to, I mean, because they have plenty of resources of their own, but what would be one thing that you would have the big companies do? And I want to move on to entrepreneurship. Well, I think we have to be honest in the fact that there's a lot of microaggressions and sexual harassment happening at these companies. Still, yeah, and 100%. their engineering don't know how to behave. Mm-hmm. And they almost need to have training to how to interact mm-hmm. with women, quite frankly. Because Silicon Valley can't be like Hollywood, right? Where it feels like, listen, if you're if you're someone who's bringing in a lot of money and you're we're gonna let you do whatever you want. Right. Like that seems to be like the attitude there. Mm-hmm. And that has to change. And I honestly feel like, and I've been at some of these events and I've been at some of these conferences, it's like the basics. Mm-hmm. Like basics. It's, right. So it's not to me. Do you think Me Too has had an impact or not? I mean, here we are post that, post, well, sort of post that in the middle post of it. I think it's it's not has have had as much of an impact as I would like. Listen, for all the women who are listening here that work at technology companies, keep protesting, keep fighting, keep walking out. And for all the male allies, you walk out too. Mm-hmm. Like, we just have to start organizing technology companies in a way that you see other companies be organized so that these cultures change. They have to feel the pressure. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's out of ignorance or just— I don't think they want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I think it's, again, a lot of what they consider high performers, talented people who are engaged in these behaviors. And they don't want to risk them walking away or having to fire them, but they need to. All right. So you get so you train these people up and then they run flat into this wall of yep. sexism, et cetera, et cetera. What about starting your own company? Because that's that's yes. one way of doing it. That's one way yes. of actually starting to see the field for later. Yeah, I am highly thinking about creating an incubator mm-hmm. because that's that's kind of the conclusion I'm potentially coming to is mm-hmm. that maybe it culture only happens from inception, that you have to start a company out with a diverse team and to build a culture where actually you want to have diverse talent. Mm-hmm. And that means that we have to support women, people of color, uh, underserved groups to like start their own companies. Mm-hmm. And how does that happen from a capital point of view? I mean, I think you need to have more people actually um, writing checks. Mm-hmm. It can't be because what you're, I mean, what, what what was the number fewer than 20 black women in the history of our country have gotten more than a million dollars in seed mm-hmm. capital? I right. mean, come on. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that a lot of us in this space need to think about how we're supporting that work too. So how do you do it? Saying it is one thing. Doing so it. I think that Female Founders Fund, right, mm-hmm. uh, All Raise is thinking about this, uh, B- BBG Ventures, like there, there are a lot of different uh, kind of funds now being created around women, around diversity. We need more. All right. But that then subjects people to being pushed to the side. Those are the diverse funds versus here's the game. <laughs> if I'm saying that I don't even know if I can change the culture of Facebook, I don't know if I can change the culture of Sequoia. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I have not seen the type of change that I'd, I'd like. And so we may have to just throw our hands up and say, instead of continuing to try to change the establishment, let's make our own establishment. That's mm-hmm. always been my theory in life. Mm-hmm. Like, except that's where the money is. It is, but it doesn't have to be, does it? I mean, I still think that like you can have, I I believe that there are very, like I I think about Brian O'Kelly, one of our first supporters of, you know, just made a lot of money out of AppNexus. He believes in this. Like I can, there are men who have a lot of money who are thinking about diversity in very different ways. I'm not saying that they've been at Kleiner Perkins for the past 40 years. Mm -hmm. So Maybe there's a new generation of investors who are going to think about this differently, and I encourage you to. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you think about the creation of these companies, you obviously have to have an entrepreneurship angle with 
young women, people of color. You're teaching code, but do, don't you need to teach more than that? On, we, entrepreneurship. We are, we are teaching more than that. All of our like lessons essentially end with an impact project where mm-hmm. we encourage our girls to build something, to get into a team and create something. Mm-hmm. One of my students, you know, afterwards built a microchip where you put into a gun and it alerts you when it goes off in an area like a school. Mm-hmm. Youngest woman to get uh, a patent, Anastasia, at the University of Pennsylvania. You know, we have students who build, um, you know, built an algorithm to help detect whether a cancer is benign or malignant. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a student who built an a, uh, a tool called uh, Rethink, which if you're about to say something negative on a group text, it asks you, should you say that she was on Shark Tank? Yeah. So, like, we are was, inspiring. <laughs> there and was build- a thing like that years ago, a drunk thing. You had to <laughs> breathe into it, and then you're not allowed to text if you're real drunk. Oh, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we are inspiring them to be entrepreneurs and to think entrepreneurial. And that also means like being able to present your idea. Mm -hmm. Like every man I know has like a billion dollar slide in his business idea, even Mm -hmm. if he's like selling ice cream. Mm -hmm. Most women will not tell you how their company is going to be a billion dollars because we think we have to prove every single little number. Mm -hmm. So part of it is like, how do I present? Like, how do I talk about the thing that I believe in? Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do I work with a team to create it? When you're doing that, what are some of the challenges you face in pushing girls out like that now after getting them, you know, moving the ball forward on coding itself. Yeah, I mean, I think I told my you know, my undue story how girls are afraid to write a line of code and then ask somebody for help because they don't want to show that they've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I think once they get through that of like, wow, I can actually create something that I didn't think that I could, I think the next stage is really having belief in their idea, you know, knowing how to work with the team to actually create it, and then asking somebody for money. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people all the time, like, you yeah. know, have your, you know, have your daughter's like sell Girl Scout cookies because this idea of asking someone to invest in you Mm -hmm. is something that sometimes is a challenge for us as women because it's not what we've been raised to do. Right. And to also be able to stand up and speak in like, you know, present your idea. I can't tell you, you know, after my book tour, how many times during Q&A I'll watch the first 10 hands raised, so are men. Yeah. (laughs) And the women are like furiously like scribbling down their questions trying to perfect them. Uh Uh-huh. So, it is true. The other day, I wouldn't ask. I wouldn't answer questions. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> I annoyed the men in the room, but I don't really care. Anyway, we're going to take another break now. We'll be back after this with Reshma Sajani, the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We're here with Reshma Sajani. She is the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. So, do you ever think of calling it women who code? I, I'm not being no, facetious. No, no. It's just it's got to, you've got to move people along. Well, the there's an amazing so. organization called Women Who Code. Yes, okay. But I think it's important as an entrepreneur to stay mm-hmm. in my lane. And I feel like there are still millions of girls that I want to teach. I mean, I was just on the phone with a team in Jordan today because I really want to start teaching girls to code in refugee camps. Mm-hmm. So I still feel like there's a lot like mm-hmm. I need, I want to do in this age demographic. In this age demographic. Yeah. And what are some of the changes you see as you've done it over the past couple of years since when? 2011, right? Two, 
it's becoming cooler, mm-hmm. right? I think we've made coding cooler because part of it is that, right? When you change a girl's mind, a lot of this is like, ugh, that's not for me. That's like, you know, a dorky guy in a basement somewhere, sure. like, you know, staring at sure. a screen. I think that we have shifted the way that we talk about it. Like, girls want to solve problems. They want they don't want to, like, have a theoretical conversation about computational thinking. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, teach me how to code so I can build this website to do something about climate change. Right. I think the third thing is is really about changing the mindset of parents. Mm-hmm. I still think that we encourage our boys to like, get dirty and be technical and to build and create things, and we're still pushing dolls and princesses to our girls. Mm-hmm. Not me. <laughs> not, of course not you. <laughs> my boys cook and stuff. Like, although one of my boys does build and create. But, it, you know, it's still, like we're hardwired. Parents mm-hmm. are hardwired and sometimes like toughen up their boys and to insulate their girls. And that often means, I, I, I remember this one parent came up to me after her daughter had been through a Girls Who Code program and we were encouraging her to start a club at her school. And she was like, well, my, my daughter's really popular and she's like the head of the cheerleading team. I'm really, I'm like, uh. <laughs> but I still hear this from parents. I still hear this from parents. Right. From the parents you teach. Yeah. All right. So when you're teaching them, where are the—let's finish up talking about where the next things are going. Obviously, it's not going to just be coding. It's going to be all all kinds of things. Yeah. I do think in the future, having more humanities background, Mm -hmm. having more other things, as you've seen through some of these problems at Facebook and other companies, one of the reasons is the people making these products have no conception of either their users or— Anything else? I could not agree more. I think that they also don't—I think girls really care about the impact of technology Mm -hmm. on humanity. You know, one of my students was telling me how, you know, data sets are so important because she was reading how Google and Alexa are being used by perpetrators of domestic violence to lock women out. Mm-hmm. And to turn the music yeah. up real loud. Yes. Yeah. And you don't have people on those teams to who have experienced that to say, hey, God, you know, hey, wait a minute here. Like, mm-hmm. this could happen. Right. So I do think that having that mixture, right, like being a gender studies major and also majoring in computer science is incredible. And we have to encourage that. Mm-hmm. I think that where this is going is I think that this generation of young people want to change the world. They're not thinking about making money, mm-hmm. right? That great article today in New York Times where you have to think about like these CEOs it, it's almost like too much capitalism, right? They're mm-hmm. too much thinking about the bottom line and how they can use ad growth, revenue growth, to make growth. another dollar and not thinking about the impact on humanity. Mm-hmm. It's like, where are you going to be at this moment in history? Where, where are you going to stand? And I know where women and people of color and underserved groups are going to stand. On the right not side. Not all. Not necessarily all. There's some women More of who want to make money. Yes. So, how, but how do you get—the the, the only way you change is to get the whole culture to think like that. Or yes. to have more people—to to have more people like that in the larger— business culture. To do that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I I I think we've lost that, right? What we call compassionate capitalism. I think mm-hmm. we've lost a sense of, and you really see this, I think, in the past couple years of Trump's administration. I mean, I think part of the reason why we haven't really turned is businesses really still buy him. They won't maybe admit it publicly, but they absolutely are. Yeah, they like the economy. Yeah, they, they want like the economy. They want to make more money. And while people are hurting every single day, and the fact that we're locking babies up in cages should be enough to say enough is enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also the culture of violation. I was just talking to Scott Galloway about this, that you see it, and Tristan Harris earlier this week, is is even if you don't feel like you're locked into online stuff, for example, social media or other things, you get impacted by it anyway because of what dribbles down into the culture. Like, you may not follow anti-vaxxers on Facebook, but it has an impact on you. You may not 
you know, sit on Twitter and yell at each other, but it has an impact on the society at large. And Scott was making the point that now top basketball players are screaming at refs, right? And this, everybody feels that it's leaking out into the culture at large. Yeah. And I don't think it's a male thing. I do think it's a, it's a culture of not thinking about safety. Absolutely. I also think we're really in our silos. Mm-hmm. Like we think that whatever's my Instagram feed is like what life looks like. Yeah. And it doesn't. And I think it's making us less compassionate, making us less able to love. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a huge, you know, attack on in Syria yesterday. Most of us didn't even know that that happened, that, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of things. You know, hundreds of thousands of kids got displaced mm-hmm. and are not going to go to school. And that most kids haven't gone to school in Syria for the past nine years and 15-year-olds can't read. Right. Like, we have, are so detached from what is happening in the rest of the world. And I think a lot of that has to do with what we see on our social media feeds. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really, really problematic. And, and, I, and I think that, like, having a diverse set of innovators and creators and entrepreneurs would change some of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see any role mo- when you talked about it, I want to finish up talking about the idea of role models everyone talks about that where do you see the role models though I mean I think that they're I actually do think that they're everywhere mm-hmm. they're just not on the front page of the New York Times above the fold mm-hmm Right. I think that we are still reading about, we think about in technology, these CEOs, and I don't think that people are looking to them necessarily as role models. And we. Right now, no, they're on the other side of that. You know, I am. You know, I'm speaking at Bill Gates' summit next week, and one of the things I want to say is that, listen, people look up to you as CEOs, and so you actually could make a lot of difference once a week by thinking about who's a woman I'm going to highlight on my team. Who's the woman that I'm going to tweet about and say, hey, learn about her? Like, don't always operate from gender and race from a place of defensiveness. Mm -hmm. Use your power for good. Use Mm -hmm. your voice for good. Use your platform for good. And we often don't think about, like, I I sometimes feel like I don't hear from these CEOs unless there's a walkout happening or a protest happening or a sexual harassment allegation. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to hear about what you think about gender equity on a weekly basis because you come from a place where you are loudly proclaiming that you are a feminist. Mm -hmm. And it's something that well, you— Well, not all of them. I can tell you I that. want. I know, but I want them to. Like, mm-hmm. I want them to—I want to see a different type of leadership from these men. And I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. I, I know them. <laughs> I don't think so. And you don't think so at all? I, I mean, then they we, don't think about it. I think it's not—it's not, it's not a, necessarily a hostility with all of them. And it's some of them, it's a hostility, for sure. Or a defensiveness. Like, uh, you know— not my fault kind of thing. And then the second part is they don't think about it, and it's priority number 26 on a list of 27. Or it's, you know, it's lowest, low enough down so they never get to it. And definitely growth, growth, growth has been at the top of it and all kinds of different things. Yeah. But it's never, you can't even make a financial argument to them, which is, that to me is really interesting when you look at all this, the various studies that show that a diverse workforce is a more profitable one. You can drop one study after the next. And by the way, you don't have to believe studies. Yeah. Lots of studies are crazy. They're not so But it probably will make you more money and you can't even appeal to their greed. And that's but, what I find interesting. So then, you know, forget about them. But I do think that, that, that the men one level below or two levels below, mm-hmm. like I had a lot of very senior Uber engineers after that went down men, mm-hmm. because 40% of girls who codes teachers are men, say, I can't stay here. Same thing happened at Google, same thing happens at Microsoft. So I do think that the men who have talent and who are brilliant and smart, but who are feminists, mm-hmm. who aren't going to put up with this, you need to leave when those things happen. And just to finish up, what would you like to do in the next version of Girls Who Code? I mean, the next couple of years for Girls Who Code. You've got people talking about doing code. You have people 
thinking about code. And, uh, you know, it's all across the country. Every state is talking about the idea of putting coding education, even though there's all these issues around education and finances and stuff like that. It is a priority. It's yes. one of the priorities. It's definitely become a priority through all these various efforts. What is next? What do you think the key things are next? So you've got people's attention. I think that we have to change industry. I don't want to teach all these girls and nobody hires them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, like, tech still has a pipeline, I mean, has a pipeline problem all throughout, right? Less than 25% of the, the workforce is female, and what, less than 5% at the top level is, is, is women and people of color? I mean, it's, it's a, less than 1%, right? Mm -hmm. It's horrendous. And so we have a unique opportunity. It's almost like it's like the 1900s and we're looking at the law profession or the medical mm -hmm. profession. Right. We have a unique opportunity to learn from what, didn't happen in other industries, and to do it differently in tech. I'm not telling you that I have all the answers, but I am telling you that I'm thinking about it every single day. So what areas should they go into of tech? What are you, what are you encouraging? Well, we're encouraging them to continue to stay being technical. And this is, again, why— But what particular areas? But, I mean, I th we want them to go into, you know, their, be, be a software programmer, go into, you know, product development, right? Go into kind of places where they can AI, actually— AI, robotics, automation. All of the above, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think every week people have a different opinion about where the industry is actually going. But, like, our mission right now is to simply just teach computational thinking so mm -hmm. you actually feel comfortable, you know, with the languages that are coming for, you know, coming at you. Uh, and that's really our, our goal. Like, it's not like we're like, we want everyone to go into robotics or into AI or into being data scientists. I want you to feel comfortable, you know, understanding technology and computational thinking in, in terms of, like, I can go in and solve a problem. Mm -hmm. Like, that's my goal. Mm -hmm. And then what would you like from the media? <laughs> Getting back to that. Oh, my God. Like, I am on a shameless effort to, like, stalk Shonda Rhimes to do her <laughs> next show and like, a female coder. <laughs> Listen, it's all about culture. Like, this is all about <laughs> culture. Work, has it worked with Sean? Uh, maybe she'll—hopefully we're going to—you're yeah. listening right I, now I to, to, to me bit. and Kara. Yeah. But look, I think, that, I think that culture can actually shape this and change this very quickly. And you've seen this in other, in other ways. We've seen this with medicine and law, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, scandal, L.A. law. And so— Scandal's we, not really the way we want to behave. Right. But, but you hear what I'm saying. <laughs> and I neither do, is L.A. law. I, do, I, I get I, your point. I get your point. But, like, I'm like— that's how I decided to be and was going to be a lawyer. Yeah. And so we don't— L.A. Really, Law, really? Not only Allie McBeal. Allie McBeal. Okay, Allie that was a different show. Right. And, they and, were quirky and And fun. Kelly McGillis and The Accused. But, yeah. like, to me, like, oh, yeah, I weird. like a super cool show about, like, you know, female coders that go on and, like, you know, take Facebook down. Like, that's inspiring. Yeah. And so showing more of this on television, in magazines, you know, in children's shows, and really shifting, you know, not having Barbie dolls that say, I hate math, not having t-shirts that say, I'm allergic to algebra, right? Not celebrating this culture where girls are not, quote, good at math. Mm -hmm. And also, like, inspiring bravery, right? Which is what my book, Brave Not Perfect, is about. Like, I think that we have to show women a different way. Mm -hmm and not be stuck in the way that we have been actually raising young girls. And, and we as women have felt like that we actually can't take risks. Mm -hmm. You know, we, and look, I do think that there is a higher cost for failure. You know, I was reading how women in finance are 20% more likely to be fired, you know, after a violation. Women in the bar are, you know, twice the rate are disbarred for the same exact thing. And so, and we see this in, in tech. So we have to change kind of the culture of failure. And it can't, failure can't be a privilege just for white and Asian men. It's got to be a privilege, quite frankly, for all. But everybody fail. Everybody fail. <laughs> but we got to raise our kids differently. Yeah, that is absolutely true. 
Reshma, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Kara. And thanks to you all for listening. And I'm going to talk to that Leslie Stahl. I'll do that for you. Know, <laughs> just let it go. Let it go by. That's happened all day. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Reshma, where can people follow you online? You can follow me at Reshma Sajani on Twitter and Instagram. S-A-U-J-A-N-I. Right. Okay. If you like this episode, and what is Girls Who Code? GirlsWhoCode.com. It's at GirlsWhoCode.com. Okay. If you like this episode, we really appreciate if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. Just search for them on your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rave. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.